This is the Virgin Radio Pridecast, proudly supported by Pixar's Out, now streaming on Disney+. Plus. Matt Kane meets Virgin Radio Pride. That was Horse McDonald and Leaving. I am Matt Kane. This is Virgin Radio Pride, and I am talking to Horse McDonald. Horse, welcome. I'm absolutely delighted. Hello, Matt. And I was delighted to kick off with your latest single, Leaving, which I love. It's interesting that for a breakup song, it's anthemic and rousing and stirring, but it's not angry or bitter, is it? No. When we did the video for this, it was pretty much a kind of dusting somebody off your shoulder because I've been through the year of counselling. I've been through all of that stuff. It's it's empowering. It's an empowering song. And and it can be not just for breakup. It can potentially be for, you know, I'm not going. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. <laughs> which we've all been through in the last couple of years, haven't we? Absolutely. And what's it like to perform live? Because you were doing a gig just last night. Am I right? Yeah. Um. Yeah. I'm quite quite tired. <laughs> but um, I would actually also say that um, my band are half my age and they're tired too. So, uh, yeah, I don't think they have the same kind of um, energy as I do. Uh, but yeah, we had a fantastic gig. Uh, this tour that we've been doing and just about to finish is the 30th anniversary of the first album, The Same Sky. Yeah. And uh, yeah, well, brackets two, 32, because we lost two years. We were supposed to go out in the road two years ago and it didn't happen. So um, that's the celebration. So we do the album in, in its order and then some other um, other popular horse songs. And now that you are um, this senior stateswoman of the <laughs> Scottish music scene, you know, you're talking about anniversaries. Do you ever look back do you ever look back to where it all started because it was interesting reading out the quote from the scotsman that i did in the intro it talks about your emotional history ripening your voice and i'd like to talk to you about your emotional history and your upbringing and how you think that might have ripened your voice um you grew up if i'm right in thinking in lanark in rural scotland yeah in would that have been the 60s 70s yeah i was born in 58 so yeah i grew up in the the 60s and what was that like then growing up in rural scotland in the 60s Gosh, my st- i'm in the middle of writing my autobiography actually so maybe i should point people in the direction of that <laughs> when i get it done but it's all uh, fresh in your mind then that's yeah, good i think really like a lot of people small town mentality um the 60s a lot of sexism a lot of misogyny and homophobia but that wasn't even spoken about that's one of those under the carpet things so i grew up um like everybody of that time and several decades afterwards no role models whatsoever i didn't fit in never did fit in and um i grew up very unhappy as a teenager and because i'm physically very androgynous um and certainly i was even more so then I was kind of chased by people. I say people. It was actually, strangely enough, young young boys, young men, maybe 13 years old, 14 years old. And th- it was just a constant, constant thing. And it would always be... Um, they say, you know, uh, names will never hurt you, but it just became this horrific thing that I didn't really want to be. But I could never not be myself. So I could never escape from myself. It's I wrote songs. I, I went into my bedroom and sat and wrote songs. And that got me through. I say it saved my life. 
singing and writing songs saved, saved your my life. life. And totally. did you, even back then, did you draw on these difficult emotions or at the time were you not ready to explore them? Singing from your deepest <laughs> nether regions is one of the most wonderful human things that you can do to relieve any kind of stress or tension. That's why people join choirs, they sing at football matches. It's a real lovely human um, way of expelling stuff from inside out. And I didn't know uh, consciously what was happening, but over the years I realised that um, by singing I am releasing and um, uh, getting rid of lots of stuff out of my system. And sometimes that can be happiness too. Yeah, um, you know, when you were talking about um, people seizing on your difference, I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? Because young people now, um, it's all very different and it's all very queer and mixed up, but you and I mm. are, I'm old school effeminate gay mm -hmm. and you are, let's let's just get it out there. Get I'm on the table there, Matt. <laughs> I'm old school effeminate gay, you're yeah. old school butch lesbian yep. and we were the most visible yes. when people would seize on those stereotypes and use them against us. I think you can be, as a musician, I think you can be you know, I was the I was absolutely the only lesbian signed to a major record company that the record the company knew about me, and they had no idea what to do with me. I didn't know what to do with me. I just wanted to sing and write songs, but you know the the idea of image etc. They didn't. They, they I got horrible suits etc. etc. Um, and we uh, we had an, our first album came out in March nineteen ninety. Then Katie Lang appeared and, mm. um, you know, God love her, what happened on her shoulders, I don't know if I could have coped, but she suddenly became the, f the first kind of global lesbian. But she was almost a novelty, wasn't she? People mm. didn't want the reality um, in their day-to-day -day lives. She was almost a virtual signalling novelty for a couple of tracks and then... Do you know, not that that's, I mean, I thought she was brilliant and is yeah. still a fantastic yeah. musician, but it didn't mean that it was the end of it, did it? No, it didn't. But what, what has happened in, in the 30 years is, you know, again, I can say I'm blowing my own trumpet, but I know lots of people like you and like me and younger who have been role models within their own, their own space, their own universe and have made massive difference. And that, I think, it, rather than... Uh, I'm trying to think very publicly, people who are very publicly out, um, even someone who's simply in their workspace who's out, they have made differences. Yeah. But I have um, instances of people coming up to me saying, I saw you in television and I knew there was someone else like me. Yeah. And that just blew me away. It's If you can actually help one person, you know, one person sees you and they go, oh... I'm okay because there's someone else, but you and I didn't necessarily see someone like ourselves in, um, you know, media or tele well, let's face it, television. Yeah, we didn't see we didn't or, see anybody. Or videos. Um, but it's interesting to me that you said people were calling you a lesbian. They were it was always a negative thing. You didn't want to be that thing they were telling you was so awful. But there was no um, question that you wouldn't be. What no. do you think it is about you that... Um, I know that singing and writing music saved your life. What do you think there is about your inner soul or strength that meant that you would never be one of those who pretended to be straight and get married? Oh, I, yeah, I know. I just balk at the thought of that. <laughs> just, just, oh, no. I, I, I just... I've all... I've been, 
we're all the same in that I think we're all spending our lives trying to find out who we are. It's pretty much something that we do. My whole life, even though I've had my voice, um, I've been trying to find my voice all these years. Um, and now that I'm sure I know my voice, I'm actually starting to use it now more because those early interviews that I did, you couldn't really speak openly. It, it wasn't, people wanted controversy, etc. And, you know, I would never really want to do that. I, it was all about music for me and for the band. And how about just um, thinking again about when you were being brought up, how about parents? Because they must have obviously noticed your difference. And I know that you have made music about feeling like a disappointment, yeah. like you'd failed in some way because you could... T- and, you know, those of us who are visibly presenting again, even if our parents don't actively criticise us, you can see the looks of, you know, just not understanding or being disappointed, and it can really cut to the soul, can't it? Well, what compounded things for me was my dad was uh, an important man in the town, and the fear of bringing shame on the family was was awful. I didn't speak to anyone in the family, didn't speak to my mum and dad, Um, I actually heard neighbours talking about me, um, uh, older people further along the street from me, and I just thought, oh, my God, how can I get out of this? How can I do anything? I never spoke to them about it. I never. A real tipping point for me of trying to get escape and to leave was um, I was going to meet my mum. I walked down the town and I crossed in front of a police patrol car. And there the cop who was driving had his window down and he said to the young woman beside him, there's that lazy. And it was a girl I'd been at school with and I just I just bowed my head and I thought, I'm not safe in this town. I'm not safe because if I'm attacked, if that's the attitude that they have, what hope do I have if I need help? So so my dad, I'd spoke about this in the paper, my dad saw the interview and he, he's, he phoned me um, and he said... I'm going to see the superintendent today and I'm going to talk to him about this. <laughs> he said, nobody in this day and age should be treated this way, you know. And the policeman was like, oh, well, that happened years ago. That would never happen now. But of course we know that's a different story. OK, horse. there's loads you've said there that I want to pick you up <laughs> on, but we're just going to take a quick pause. Matt Kane meets Virgin Radio Pride. This is Virgin Radio Pride. I am Matt Kane. This is Matt Kane Meets, and today I am meeting the fantastic Horse McDonald. Horse, we were just talking about how you had to get out of Lanark. You were talking about your parents and your dad being an important figure in the town. Um, a lot of queer people our age who have good relationships with their parents, um, it's there's a lot of work that goes in there isn't there and there's education for both of us because as you had said earlier there were so few role models there was so little understanding i think this is not just a i was going to tell you my opinion that 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 um families that i know of in, in scotland from years ago there would be someone in their family a child who would be gay now they wouldn't hear anything badly of that child but it would never be discussed yeah so in the family it would be the family secret but it would still be their child um you know the the, the idea of a, a a child or a teenager being thrown out of their home um just kills me and i'm really grateful that um that didn't happen for me but i knew i was loved it was never discussed but i knew i was loved and i feel really fortunate and blessed 
Can I ask you, um, it's really interesting hearing you talk about Scotland because it's often now held up as being much more progressive in its attitudes to queer people than England. And I would probably agree Mm. with that. Mm. But when I was growing up, and from what you're saying, arguably it was behind. And I know with legislation, sex between men wasn't wasn't legalised until 1981, more than a decade after England. Why? What do you think happened what changed why did scotland go from being like that to being suddenly so progressive and open and accepting uh, again like anywhere i think that's the veneer i think that's the surface oh, really? i think yeah i totally i think that um um like us thinking about somewhere like manchester for example is being really upheld as a wonderful place to be that's my city be careful course, what you said before I you know, go on no but <laughs> i love manchester but um there were a couple of guys very recently about um 3 months ago who were attacked in the street um and that's manchester i know you asked me about scotland i don't have any examples of it i just know that um i don't know if i would Growing up, I don't know how how safe I would feel particularly. Is that um, my um, own held experience that that makes me feel yeah, that way, yeah. or is that the actual case? I don't know. Well, it's very difficult when you have. I mean, you were saying that um, insults and words can make more of a lasting impact absolutely. than violence, and I absolutely mm. agree with you. You know, you mentioned counselling. I've been in therapy. There's a lot that needs to be undone when the way people talk about you, whether it's to your face or, as you said, overhearing neighbours talking about yeah. you, it does something to your soul and the way you see yourself and I want to talk about the positive and how this inspired your music you've said it got you through um do you like to channel those emotions into your work and do you think do you think you'd be a different musician if you hadn't experienced that pain and that intensity of emotion absolutely and and I have um spent my whole time just trying to learn to be myself as an artist not compare myself to anyone else feel like a flat failure because you weren't you know number one in the charts and um, little things like that however um the more when we first started out when i'd be performing i would be quite kind of closed and holding a mic or a, a, playing a guitar um and the more open i almost stand like and this is I'm not saying I'm like Jesus but that kind of open <laughs> just more, for our listeners horse <laughs> is currently holding her arms out wide, wide apart <laughs> just inviting people in and the more open I am the more rewarding and joyful it is as a performer and I actually was on stage I mean I think we were on for two hours I think at least half of that was me chatting <laughs> <laughs> but um, a few shows ago um, it went very quiet sometimes when you're performing you know it goes quiet the audience kind of you know there's a little bit of a lull and this voice just came up from out of the audience it was in Fife actually and he said uh, I'd been saying I'd been saying something about you know oh I like to pretend I'm a big superstar when I'm on stage it makes me feel very confident blah blah and this this voice floated up and he said horse you saved my life Oh. And the vo- it just went awfully quiet, and everybody went, oh. And he said, your music saved my life. Please, you need to understand that y- your music saved my life. So how does that make you feel when people say it that wanted to me to, I wanted to cry, actually. I thought, oh. But I realise now that it, totally unconsciously, I have actually developed um, a way of channeling emotions, spirit, 
out when I sing and it gets thrown back at me. The audience throw it back. And that thing that we used to talk about, oh, you become a pop star because you want to be loved. Well, I get that in spades. Yeah. I absolutely, and I give it and I receive it. Um, the other thing is that there's a song called Careful, which love everyone, it. Love it. everyone knows Careful. And several times uh, in sets, I'll sing it a cappella. Um, and I, I, I don't say this lightly or for effect, but the song has become something very, it, much more than a simple love song or pop song. Um, when my mum was dying, she had ovarian cancer. When she was dying, I said to my family, I want to sing to my mum because I wanted to give her something. And there was nothing physical I could do. And I said, I'm going to sing to her. And my brother said, can you? Can you manage? I said, I will. And I sang careful to her. And it was one of the most moving spiritual things that I've ever been part of. And I know that the song, although I'm just a vessel, the song came from somewhere else and I'm blessed. And it makes me feel that I'm here for a reason. And part of that reason is to be here for people to see someone like me because I was called lesbian, you know, the, 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 all the hurdles I've had to get over, excuse the horseism, <laughs> all the hurdles I've had to get over, you know, uh, lesbian, women. I'm now, I've hit another one, which you'll know about, ageism. Mm, mm. And I, I'm on a stage with people who are in their 30s, so I'm twice their age. Um, and I'm just showing them that when you're full of energy, you're the equivalent of them and it's showing other people that you can be an older lesbian woman older um, gay man older transgender woman whatever it is you can be older as well I think I do agree with you that if you um, own your vulnerabilities your fragilities the things you found hard it allows people to access theirs doesn't it? Um, yeah. You know, everybody talks about the close relationship you have with your fans and that incredible bond, and you've talked about it um, just now. But I must say, it's not just queer fans. It's not just queer fans getting out of you the obvious, um, you're just like them. You all, it's, it's about a certain depth in the well of emotions, isn't it? And people can go there for all kinds of different reasons. Well, I also think as well, I've always tried very much. Now, this might sound a bit dodgy and not very PC for our, our um, Pride programme. But go on, tell us anyway, Hoss. Yeah, I have always, always, always wanted to be part of the mainstream. Yeah. We do not need to be, oh, there's that lesbian artist. I am an artist, first and foremost. I'm a human being, I'm a singer, and I'm a lesbian, it just so happens. And and when we can get rid of having to, you know, you know, do well, this. So, so the reason I say that is, like, I've constantly, like, early days it was like the press, my press guy at EMI would go, um, oh, we'll do an interview with Horse, or we'll put you in the gay section. Which means a lot of people wouldn't have seen you. I know. You would I know. go and do a pride. You would actually go to a pride ceremony. We'll put you in the community section. Yeah. And I'm I like, know, but I, I need to be seen. Not just because I need to be seen, but people need to see someone like themselves. But it's interesting because I have the same thing with my books, and you hear mm. terms like gay writer banded around. I'm very happy to be called a gay writer. I'm very happy to be in the gay and lesbian, as it used to be called now, LGBTQ plus section of the bookshop. Mm. Mm. But I would also want some of, of my course. books at the front. And um, Because you're a good writer, first and foremost. Yes, as as you are a musician. And, you know, I, I don't think I. 
I happen to be gay. Um, I know you use that turn of phrase, but actually everything else you've said is being a lesbian is a core part of you and your artistry. Um, so it is, a, it is a difficult balancing act, but I agree with you as well that... Um, we should be able to cross over to the mainstream. And I also think that there's a massive section of the straight population who feel a bit different, have felt like an outsider for whatever reason, feel an affinity with um, gay people. I know straight women so often who are tired of having to be good girls and in inverted commas, of being slut-shamed. They get from gay men a lack of judgment and a little more freedom and... I don't think, I know you apologised before you said it, I don't think wanting to appeal to the mainstream and appealing to the mainstream is something we should have to apologise for. Well, I, I, I was going to go on to say as well, though, that my the, the greatest size of my audience are straight. Oh, interesting. Yeah, very interesting, because they followed my music for 30 years. Um, I mean, my biggest audiences are, are in Scotland and they're mostly straight. It's it's some people would perhaps assume that that you know that um, it would be different. Uh, it would be a different sort of um, what's the word? But you're I, I know exactly what you mean. You're still being you people. The people who want to put you in the community section at Pride would assume it's only lesbians listening That's right. to you. That's, That's right. I yeah I totally get that. But and what, um, is, what it does by doing that is diminishing what yes, you that, yes. and that's no disrespect to lesbians or the gay community that is like saying, well, we'll just put you in that wee slot over there. You can't be part of this big global thing. I know, I know. It's putting us all in our boxes, straight people as well as lesbians. Okay, loads more to pick you up on, but (laughs) let's just have a little break. Matt Kane meets Virgin Radio Pride. This is Matt Kane meets with me, Matt Kane. I'm on Virgin Radio Pride, and I'm talking to the terrific Horse McDonald. Horse, we've touched on your amazing career. As you said, you've just celebrated the 32nd anniversary. Did yes, you say? Yes, being strict, it's 32nd. 32nd anniversary <laughs> of the first and, album, Same Sky. And you started with a major record deal, a major label as you were saying about mainstream, absolutely going for the mainstream, but you've also touched on difficulties that you had within the industry at large and they didn't know what to do with you. I wonder if you could elaborate a bit on that for us and give us a bit more detail. It's... We were signed by a major record label and it was the first time that they had a UK version and a typical typical record company story where the the Svengali boss was disliked by the UK people. So we immediately were in a lion's den yeah. of, of not much support. So um, that was the start of it all. He actually summoned me. This is every record company story you could think of happened to us. This is quite a funny one. I was summoned to bring the new demos down after we'd been signed. And uh, he he said, get rid of the band. I only signed the band to get your voice. And I was like, <gasps> what do I do? Because obviously, you know, I, I was part of a band. Um, and I stuck with the band. And we wouldn't have come up with something that was so unique and original if we'd gone... Because uh, he'd signed um, Mick Hucknell um, from Simply Red. So he had session musicians, etc. So part of me wonders what would have happened 
Uh, and and there was no one out at the time. There were no lesbians out. There was Jimmy. How did there was the, Jimmy Somerville love Jimmy Somerville? How did they become aware of your lesbianism? Did you, oh, was they it knew, just they knew straight away? Okay. I mean, well, also I can't. <laughs> As we were saying, we're yes, very I'm visibly presenting. Bit, I'm a little bit. Um, <laughs> Butch. <laughs> um, but they still signed you, but they didn't know what to do with well, you. Well, I think one of the hard things was I tried to stay on the fence. I didn't like being... Uh, I think now people would call me non-binary. Oh. I did not want to be referred to as she. I was sure that I was a lesbian, but I was uncomfortable with being I didn't want to be put in a box like you said I didn't want to be forced down some sort of dressed up doll thing which is absolutely the antithesis of me antithesis of me did they try to do that did they try to get no, you in a pretty dress and they didn't but one we were on tour and I found I found flyers it's quite a story I found flyers on the floor of the one of the venues we've been playing in and it was horse what is it a man or a woman <gasps> And years later, um, we were doing In the City. I think it was in Manchester, actually, we were doing In the City, which is a big um, music industry yeah, sort of yeah, yeah. junket. And a famous American guy who was at Stonewall, who was involved with um, um, Clive Davis in the States, he was his right-hand man in the States, he was there doing talks, and his talk was about how the, rec the record companies in the music industry um, crushed people from the LGBTQI plus community. And he'd put a message on a post. In those days, we didn't have mobile phones. And it was notes and somebody said, have you seen this? Um, Jim, Jim's his name. He said, um, I'm about to go and do a talk. Can I can I have a quick chat with you? And I went, sure. And he said, um, is it true that you came across this flyer, horse, what is it, a man or a woman? I said, yep. I had no idea about it, none at all. I didn't know that's what they were doing. And and so he went into this huge meeting and the uh, he said, and this happened to Horse, and this guy sprung to his feet. He said, the artist knew about that. And Jim went, I've just spoken to her, and she did not. And the guy went, fell to his seat, you know. Yeah, that's, That is literally, I am Shocking. gasping at that, and I've heard a lot. Shocking. How about... Um, Press and um, did you do any TV shows or radio when they? Um, how did how did the media respond to your lesbianism? I think we didn't we didn't really. Um, I, I know this sounds ridiculous, but now if I was just arriving, they'd go, "Here's horse, here's this out lesbian, you know, listen to the voice." And but then it was like uh, they didn't really know how to promote me, so you ended up with this. Butch lesbian, so people thought I was was it a man? You know, uh, the equivalent of MTV. We had the, the Saturday show which showed, and there was stuff at the along the bottom going horse. He they got my gender wrong straight away, and and I'm like, oh my god. Um, one producer, uh, we had a single out, and there was a video, and we were supposed to be going on the show, and we were on hold for it. We were ready to go on the show, and we were told the producer didn't want us to go on the show because she and to quote her she said that is offensive referring to me and this was the same program that they had the video for the lambada on i don't know if anyone can go and search that out seek it out but i can remember it, it was simulated young, sex. yeah there's a young girl on there who must be 12 years old she starts out dancing with a young boy of her same age but then she ends up dancing with this old man and, and i thought that's offensive to me but i was offensive so we came across a few things like that and, and how did they make you feel 
Oh, I was just devastated. Um, and being the sort of main singer in the band, you know, possibly destroying things for everybody else just by being myself. Oh, you, well, you felt that you were. Yeah, but yeah you of were, course, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and would I ever be able to get over this? Would I ever be able to get um, the support or the recognition that that the music and um, the songs and, and my voice really surely deserved? And what about the look? Because, you know, we are talking about the butch lesbian look <laughs> and um, persona, and you have often kind of toyed with the bother boots and the trouser suits, totally harnessed that and the power of it and had it front of centre. Yes. Did anybody um, advise you against that or...? No, it just it just wasn't... It just wasn't... the It wasn't driven properly. It just was just... We were, like, throwing, like, cannon, cannon fodder out there. I'll give you an example. So, like, we had a stylist for our video. She hadn't a clue what to do and we had this these particular options for suits. In my head, I was thinking Italian, well, beautifully tailored suits. We'd stuff off the peg. It parallel to us, there was Banderas. I don't know if you remember Banderas. Yes, I remember Banderas. Sally Herbert, who um, was the one of the characters in that, ended up playing on Careful, funnily enough. Oh. Um, and uh, they had beautiful Italian suits for their videos, and I was, I was green with envy. But neither of them were lesbians. <laughs> But, and again, there's, there's the, if you look at Annie Lennox, I, I used to get upset because I'd see Annie Lennox, who's a stunning singer, brilliant artist, and played roles and was able to put the suit down and walk away from it. But it wasn't threatening. When, and because Annie Lennox had a man and children, nobody was threatened by it because she was playing with um, outward markers of lesbianism, but she wasn't one. And, no. and it was interesting when you were talking about that, um, the Saturday morning, the mainstream yeah. Saturday morning pop shows, I remember them, yeah. you know, that they said, um, that is offensive. In those days, I remember in the 80s, 90s, people used to think we weren't safe around children. We yeah. were a danger to children. We were trying to corrupt them, to recruit them, to turn them. And um, it's difficult to get across to younger listeners now just how mm. deep-rooted that idea was that we were dangerous mm-hmm. i mean i'm i'm kind of just i'm actually starting to get emotional because yeah. i remember those years i remember not wanting to um push the envelope too much um because of all of that background and when section 28 came in for the first time uh, being out all of that time that section 28 happened and i thought can I actually still go on? A, can I actually still do what I do? This is for anybody listening who doesn't know. It's the anti-gay propaganda law introduced by Margaret Thatcher's government that nobody in the employ of local authorities or education authorities could do anything that, in inverted commas, promoted. There'd be no books that had any content. Yeah. But also, if, if teachers um, heard kids bullying a gay child saying that's disgusting, they couldn't say it wasn't. Yeah. Because that would be promoting. And um, I grew up under that, and it was it was horrendous. It was absolutely horrendous. Yeah. And it's interesting talking to you about everything you went through because, you know, we're talking about industry-wide stuff and media representations, but underneath all that, you are a human being. Mm-hmm. Totally. And that's really hard to weather that storm sometimes, isn't it? It, it is. Uh, uh, but I also think that... that, that there's something in human nature which can be quite cruel. 
Um, and and we and I think it's got even worse now because we are influenced in ways that you and I weren't influenced before, like social media, for example. Um, I was doing a television show once and there was this particular group of boys that used to pester me. And I was doing this television show and um, they used to go, ah, eh, eh. these young boys were talking about and I'd be in my, my mid-twenties. Etc. And, and how dare they shout at me? I mean, imagine shouting at someone who was older in the street and not having a fear to do that. Anyway, so basically these, these kids would be shouting at me. I did my television show. Next day, I was putting something into my car and I can see them coming along the pavement. I'm going, oh, my God. And it's not like I'm afraid of them physically. I just do not want the confrontation. Yeah. So I put my head in the car and I kept my head in there and they're hanging about the car. All right, horse, eh? Well, saw you on the telly. And I was like, whoa, okay. So I was then all right because I'd been on the telly. And that celebrity thing reared its, oh, I was going to say ugly head. But it but saved suddenly, you in that instance. Yes, but isn't that ridiculous? It is. But we're actually, that's a little positive note. So mm-hmm. I want to hold that and come back to that positivity after this. Matt Kane meets Virgin Radio Pride. You're listening to Virgin Radio Pride. I am Matt Kane, and today I am meeting the fantastic Horse McDonald. Horse, we are going to, I'd love to end on a positive note. We've talked about negative experiences, how they inspired you and made you who you are now. And the main headline is 32 years in, you are still going strong. Very much so. Making amazing music, enjoying performing. Do you still enjoy it as much as you ever did? Well, we were talking earlier about um, learning uh, my my whole lifetime is about finding my voice and now it's about using it but it's also about learning to look after myself I feel like I have to give everybody every ounce of myself when I'm singing. Um, We went out onto the road and I very quickly discovered that having not sung or toured for years, I suddenly expected myself to be doing two, three shows in a row two hours every night my voice was struggling and I never wanted my mum more than I did when I was, oh. I, I became ill, I was taken to Charing Cross Hospital actually. But for me, I would rather, I'd actually die on stage. I know that sounds extreme, but part of me gets so much love and positivity from singing. When I've not been singing, I've felt quite down, so it's my pick-me-up. Um, and again, I think you were saying that as well, it means that when I'm singing, people get that same... Um, mood and that same joy when I sing. It's infectious and it's wonderful. And how about, we were talking about um, how the world responded to you in the industry and these days you're often held up as a lesbian grand dame. You're <laughs> always on the diva power list. You got the magazine's <laughs> Lifetime Achievement Award. That was amazing. Your portraits hanging in the Scottish Portrait that, Gallery. Can I tell you about, can I just say something about that? Yes, that, please do. That, that is an amazing thing because Roxana Halls is a lesbian. Oh. The artist. Um, I did a show in London with David McCalman and uh, it, she came up to me afterwards and it was almost like, do you want to come up and see my etchings? <laughs> but it was like, <laughs> I was very interested in art. She said, do you want to come up to my, my studio? I was like, yes. So we went up to the studio and between conversations, she said, have you ever had your portrait done? And I said, not really. And I didn't know, I didn't know what the implications of this would be ultimately. Um so it was important for her too, massively important for her because I um, went and she said, how do you want to do this? How do you want to sit? And I went, sit? I have to sing. 
if you're going to do my portrait, I have to sing. So uh, she filmed me singing, and I sang careful each time. And the portrait is an amalgamation of all those things. Um, unbeknownst to me, um, the curator for the Scottish National Portrait Gallery had wanted to see Roxana's work. Um, and she came down to the studio, and she was in the studio, and she said, I'd love to have your work hanging in the Scottish National Portrait Gallery, but sadly, you know, obviously we need Sco a Scottish sort of content. She went, well, it so happens I'm doing horses portraits, she went, I have to see it. So she saw my portrait before I did, and unbeknownst to me, because it's the National Portrait Gallery acquiring it for the nation, it goes around lots of directors from every um, gallery, etc., and it goes through various... Um, you know, discussions and debates yeah, about whether yeah. it wants to be acquired. And she said, we're on... She phoned me and she said, are you sitting down? And I was like, yeah, she said, we're, we're, I haven't told you this, but this is what process has been going on underneath, behind the scenes. Um, and she said, we're on the last meeting now. And if it works, they're acquiring it for the nation. So anyway, in short, they bought it for the nation. And talking to Roxana, um, women are not in galleries. Yeah. Lesbian women are not in galleries. That portrait to me, when I'm dead, when I'm long gone, my portrait is going to be hanging there going, look at this woman, look at what she did. And and in terms of like, you know, you've talked about how it really impacted on you growing up feeling yeah. unloved, misunderstood, unappreciated, attacked. When you get a Lifetime Achievement Award from Diva magazine, when you are, um, your portrait is put up in the Scottish Portrait Gallery. It's such an accolade. It's, it's just life-changing. And, and just again, on that sort of spiritually side of things, when I saw the portrait, I thought, oh, that doesn't look like me. It's far too bright. It's far too bright. But in actual fact, the more I spoke about it, um, it's me, what she's painted is my inside out, my joy, oh. my happiness from singing. And someone once said to me that they, they saw auras and they said, I can see auras when you sing. And it's like they're healing auras. And uh, yeah, so I, I just thought she really did capture something magical. I love that. I love that. And how about, we've talked about your difficulties with the music industry. Obviously, it's much better now than it was in those days. We're talking about the 90s. Um, do you ever look at all the kind of lesbian, gay, queer musicians now and just feel happy, positive, uh, how much it's advanced? You're pulling a face, which makes me think... Um, I, I, I still think it's... it's um, if, how can I put this? I think there are quite a few artists, but again, it's just one or two who are yeah. really, really known. Um, and we want it to become so that they are, you know, major, really major artists. Maybe I sound... We're supposed to be sounding positive here, but, but as an artist, I thought that Jimmy and I, Jimmy Somerville and I, were like the working class sort of, you know, jobbing um, gay artists. And your George Michaels, and at that time, Elton John, glam, you know... Freddie and Mercury. Out, and not out. I know. And, and I, know. I know that Jimmy had, you know, was kind of upset about those things. But, you know they came out when they felt safe to do so so there's that angle isn't there it's a very long process isn't it <sighs> yeah. do you think uh, if you had gone down the George Michael route if you I know you said it was never an option but if you had um, not been out your career would have turned out differently or would you have even survived I, 
that's a really hard question. When the record company said get rid of the band, that would have been the point where I would have stepped over the line and gone and made a deal with the devil. Yeah. That's when I would have done that, and I didn't. What I do have now is a 30-odd-year career of creating music under my own terms and writing songs that mean something. And they're not interfered with trend or, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm utterly unique. So that, when people talk to me about what would you say as a tip for, for being an artist that may have longevity, be yourself, find your own yeah. voice. Even though being yourself, your brilliant, unique self, um, got you so much resistance and criticism and attack, you yeah. would still say that. Totally. It's the only way, isn't it, actually? Um, yeah, I think to be happy, you have to be yourself. And, and I think this is, again, going back to social media, this is one of those things that has such influence that, you know, in our day, we would go home and we'd cry in our bedrooms. Yeah. These days, kids go home and it follows them to their bedrooms. I know. They I can't know. escape. They compare themselves to everybody else. This is what I'm, I yeah. even am trying to stop comparing myself to other artists. But at people. least those young queer kids now can go online and find other people like them. Yeah. Actually, there is an upside, isn't there? Tell yeah. us, um, looking forward to the future, what are you working on at the moment? Please tell me you're writing some new music. New album. New album, totally in the pipeline. And um, it hopefully will be out towards the end of the year. Fantastic. And you were, you were talking about everything you've learned looking back. If you could, and this is going to be my last question, if you could <laughs> speak to that little girl, mm. or as you say, possibly non-binary person now if you were growing up, if you could speak to that little girl that you were um, growing up in Lanark in the 60s, what would you say to her? I hated that girl. I hated her. And what I would say now is getting emotional. You are lovely. You're wonderful. And, you know, you will grow up to influence a lot of people and make a lot of people happy. And you deserve to be happy. Just the the simplicity of the way you said it. So many of us, it was so yeah. basic. We just all hated ourselves because mm -hmm. everybody else hated mm -hmm. us, didn't they? Yeah. And it's horrible. It's mm -hmm. such a trauma to go through. Seeing the emotion on your face now yeah. all these years later... It's such an emotion to go through. It's but it's such a trauma. But you got through it. You're here now. Thank I God you've made so Matt, many of us I happy. Love the way you keep turning things around into the positive. <laughs> that's fantastic. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to. I'm trying to do. Bring in my um, inner Matt Keen. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm trying to bring out my inner Horse McDonald. <laughs> Thank you very much, oh, Horse. It's a real pleasure. Thank you for joining me. Thank you. The Virgin Radio Pridecast, proudly supported by Love Victor Season Three. Now streaming on Disney Plus.